That was his big mistake. His big mistake was to say, right, what we're going to do is reduce government spending, but put more money back in your pockets for you to spend. That would have worked. The market will, the market will forgive the energy bailout because they'll say, well, it's just a sort of, you know, rather like a wartime thing. It's one of these odd things that happens from time to time. So big principle, big ticket stuff I like very much. Presentation, delivery, um, pre-leaking some ideas so the market might get used to it. I'm afraid for the second part of it, it really... Eight out of ten for a change in philosophy and naught out of ten for delivery. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Two weeks, Nigel. You left the country for two weeks and the Conservatives blew up the bond market, the currency market, the stock market and on a global basis. What happened? Well, they'd already messed up domestic politics. They'd already messed up energy. Um, I mean, this was inevitable that at some point this would happen. Uh, you're right. It's been extraordinary. I mean, I mean, on the big principle stuff of what Kwarteng and Truss announced, it was music to my ears. Of course, we've got to get top rate tax down. I mean, goodness me, the Italian authorities are tempting British entrepreneurs and businessmen with five year low tax deals. And it's interesting, that number of 40% works because a lot of these people want to live in London. They like the golf clubs. They like the schools. And they, and they could get cheaper than 40 elsewhere. But 40 is the number that Nigel Lawson came up with all those years ago. And it works. So when I heard Kwarteng saying that, I thought, yeah, good. Uh, when I heard about growth, you know, increasing growth with supply side reform, I thought, good. I thought, does that mean we're going to attack solvency too? Does it mean we're going to attack MIFID? You know, areas in our industry that haven't protected a single client uh, but have driven businesses away from London. All of that I liked. The problem was the globalists do not want tax cuts of any kind at all. They've all honed in on what the cost of tax cuts is, not even bothered about what the potential energy bailout might be. Uh, and in the face of all of that, and not proposing a single other cut to expenditure, that was his big mistake. His big mistake was to say, right, what we're going to do is reduce government spending, but put more money back in your pockets for you to spend. That would have worked. The market will, the market will forgive the energy bailout because they'll say, well, it's just a sort of, you know, rather like a wartime thing. It's one of these odd things that happens from time to time. So big principle, big ticket stuff I like very much. Presentation, delivery, um, pre-leaking some ideas so the market might get used to it. I'm afraid for the second part of it, it really... Eight out of ten for a change in philosophy and naught out of ten for delivery. Um, so here we are now, um, and astonishingly, just a couple of hours before this conversation, the Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew out to lunch, Bailey. Andrew, utterly blooming useless at the FCA. You know, you know Nigel, Bailey. I preferred him when he was out to lunch. Andrew, who should never have been appointed Governor of the Bank of England, is a complete loser, um, who, of course, as, as we've repeatedly said, misread inflation when you and I were banging on about it from last January. Uh, then when it occurred, said it was transitory and now presses a red button called panic. Um, 
utterly useless in every regard. The job of the Bank of England, and it's been this since 1694, is to be a stabilising, steadying influence. That is why it is known as the lender of the last resort. And what he's done this morning, or last night really, is to literally throw the government under the bus, throw the markets under the bus, and to cause panic. Uh, number one, absolute dereliction of duty on his part, dreadful. And number two, the fact the pensions industry has got itself into this mess. The fact the pensions industry, urged on by the regulator, holds so much of its money in gilts, and again, we've touched on this over the course of the last 18 months, actually goes to the very reason why Fortune and Freedom was started in the first place. Because I, having spent 20 years you know, doing politics, came back to look at my private pension provision, was horrified by what I saw in terms of the way the industry had managed it, and thought, you know what, we can do better without those people taking their fees, obeying bad regulation. The pensions industry is a disaster. They, they, they literally cream off our money every year, follow terrible rules, give us awful results. Uh, and, and this really, what you're seeing over these few days, tells you two things. One, Bailey was the wrong appointment, but two, the pensions industry, frankly, isn't fit for purpose. Andrew, we're recording this on a Wednesday and you've had some internet issues this morning. So I'm going to read you out the, the, the headline from the Financial Times website um, because it's uh, it's rather relevant. And it's what I thought you were you were going to say. Uh, hold on one second. So, so the headline from the Financial Times right now, as of 43 minutes ago, is Bank of England signals to lenders it is prepared to prolong bond purchases after all. So by the time people are watching this on Friday, um, who knows how many more times he will have changed his mind about this, saying he won't extend <laughs> it beyond three days, saying he will extend uh. it, causing complete chaos and carnage in the market. This is complete mismanagement. He's been lambasted. Well, he's been lambasted from every side now that he's changed his mind so many times. We've gone from QT to QE to QT to QE. Within the space of two weeks, it is a complete mess, and it's no wonder the markets are completely being routed. You turn if you want to. The lady is not for turning. Goodness me, that now looks like ancient history, doesn't it, with our government and with our governor? Well, look, you know, you've brought me up to speed with the news, uh, but hey, it doesn't change my comments one iota. Utterly incompetent, out of his depth, needs to be sacked as quickly as possible. I remember I was interviewed shortly after that mini budget was published and, and I thought it was all a bit of a, a storm in a teacup because it didn't make much of a difference financially relative to all the other things that were going on, such as the energy balance that you mentioned. And then on Monday, all hell broke loose in the financial markets and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's really not a huge tax nope, policy nope, change in terms nope, of as a percent of GDP. Nope. But, but, it, but it also shows you how left wing and how globalist the Conservative Party has become. Yeah. Because so many of those backbenchers opposed it. Because you know why? The short-term focus group said it wasn't popular. But leadership is about doing things that aren't always popular in the short term, but prove in the medium and long term to have been the right decisions. And now we have a situation where backbench conservatives are rallying behind the Labour Party on stopping us producing onshore gas. You know, you realise... This is not a Conservative Party in any way at all. 
they will lose the next election. They thoroughly deserve to lose the next election. And perhaps then they can rethink a sound economic framework. Politics is a game of the lesser of two weevils. And uh, you commented on our, on our Tuesday meeting that uh, Labour is becoming more and more electable. Look, you know, this is not Jeremy Corbyn we're talking about. It's Keir Starmer. And of course, you know, I mean, is he going to put taxes up any more than the Conservatives have? I very much doubt it. Uh, is he going to intervene in the markets more than the Conservatives have? I very much doubt it. I mean, his government will, on economic policy, frankly, be very similar to what we've seen for, for the last 12 years from the Conservatives. I am not in the least bit scared of Keir Starmer as Prime Minister. I'm frustrated that we won't take the supply side benefit reforms from Brexit that we've been banging on about for the last six years. But then, hey, the Conservatives haven't done that either. Let's move on to where you've been these last two weeks. Uh, I think you started off in Mexico City. What did you learn? Uh, that it's a huge place with, with the sprawling suburbs, the likes of which I have never seen. I just missed the earthquakes, actually, by about 24 hours. So I was perhaps fortunate in that regard. I was there for a conference, um, an entrepreneur's conference of people who are preparing plan Bs. You know, thinking about, do, you know, do they have to leave Canada? leave the UK, leave the USA. Uh, the, I think the single biggest fear in the minds of those people were central bank digital currencies. Uh, the idea that this is now being actively, genuinely discussed, uh, that added to high regulation, that added to high taxation. Uh, and so people discussing what are the good jurisdictions to move to, to go to, if that has to be. So that was a very interesting conference. And I, in particular, uh, the most concerned group of people were the Canadians. You know, really worried that Trudeau gets back in and all sorts of wealth taxes, super taxes, and perhaps even, perhaps even retrospective taxes get brought in. And, and I'm not talking here about criminals that don't want to pay tax. I'm talking about people here who are scared of what government might do to them. And of course, it may be a distant memory, but remember, the situation we had back in the 1970s in this country with income tax on earned income up to 83% and on unearned income up to 98%. All of this has happened before. So that was interesting. And then it was down to Australia, where, of course, I bumped into you uh, in Brisbane. And I was in Brisbane. I was in Canberra. I was in Melbourne. I was in Sydney, uh, mixing with business people, political people, media people. Uh, I mean, interesting. Um, Obviously, Labour are now in power, although Labour didn't win the election. The, the, the Conservatives, they're known as Liberals down under, don't ask me why, but the Conservatives lost the election. Um, and I'm now seeing splits emerging in Australian conservatism, and absolutely at the heart of that battle is net zero. You know, Aust Australia is a primary producer of coal, of gas, of zinc, of many, many other primary commodity products. Uh, and if Australia is going to follow down the net zero route that we've been down, that would be catastrophic for the country. So Scott Morrison went to COP26, signed them up for net zero without any debate in Australia at all. And that's going to be a huge battle that goes on. And it's not that people are climate deniers or whatever phrase it may be. What is the point of any of this when China are building 80 new giant coal-fired power stations every single year. 
I think it's it's uh, there's something that could be learned from the Australian situation because, as you say, they export vast amounts of coal. I think coal overtook iron yeah. ore as the top export in 2021 or 2022. Uh, they export vast amounts of gas. And yet, if you read the Australian newspapers, they are full of examples of shortages of coal and gas in Australia. And I think that, that reveals a lot about the nature of the debate, that even if you have the stuff, if you've got the wrong people in government, you're still not going to get it. Which, which is, uh, which is and crazy. you're still going to struggle with the economic consequences. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, so the people sort of advocating you know, a supply boom in, in the UK, uh, be careful what you wish for. You might be selling it all to the Europeans if you vote to the wrong sort of politicians into power. Um, Last but not least, you did have a break as well. How was that? Very good. Yep, had a few days off, did a bit of fishing, uh, got a bit of a suntan. First proper holiday this year. Loved it, uh, but now very much back in the fray. Um, although uh, looking upon UK politics and government and economic policy with some measure of dismay. And markets equally so. Nigel, thanks Thank for joining you. us in Different Home. Thanks for watching.